Okay, and welcome back to Fast Jet Performance. I'm Tim Davies, and I realize I have been neglectful over the recent weeks and months because I really haven't put much of these podcasts out. And then someone contacted me and said, Hey, Tim, are you ever going to put podcasts out again? And I said, Well, actually, I quite enjoy putting podcasts out when I learn to speak slower than I do now. So, what I'm doing is I'm hacking into my accounts. Um, I use Libsyn to host um, what am I doing here? So, I need to get in to work out what the last one actually was. I can actually look at statistics here as well. Aha, here we are. Right, so we have hacked in to my Libsyn account, and it's not the cheapest place, but it makes it quite easy. Right, the last one I put out then was why is self-sabotage. Um, I can actually check stats on this as well and all sorts of random things. Here's stats. Uh, and that was downloaded quite a few times. What's the total there? About 500, 600 times? Yeah, that's about right. Okay, so what we're doing today, what's the next one on the list then that I haven't actually put out? And I want to start putting out stuff as well. Let me just, again, if you just type in Fast Jet Tim in the Google, you find my site, which is pretty cool, I guess, which is ideal. Ah, right, so, okay, I put out a few, right, why self-sabotage? And I put out, um, it's all my fault and I'm going to make it right. And I put another one out, why fight pilots keep the math simple and why you should too. So let's... Let's just put some of these out. I also put one out about David Cameron. And actually, I probably would like to probably start with that one today. It's not so much that I dislike Cameron. I dislike the way he did things. Um, yeah. Oh, do I dislike him? I think he wasn't actually a bad statesman, if that is the case. I think the way that he took us into the, uh, the issues with the EU referendum when really it wasn't anything to do with uh, the best interests of the country it was for him settling a vote and getting rid of UKIP and trying to unify his party and then saying as I do in this post here uh, it doesn't matter what happens I'm going to stay around and I'm going to drag you guys out of it um, was not true and we know that and uh, I'll cover it in this post so I'm going to read this post out now here's an interesting thing so the post is called well you got that wrong let's talk about military courage now if, before I start here, if you go onto my website, what you'll find is that this post does not appear near the top. In fact, I've kind of hidden it about three rows down. Now, the reason I've hidden it about three rows down is I didn't realize, but there are some lines to take in the military, and that's fine. We have to have some lines to take. But one of those lines to take is to not take a line on the EU referendum. Apparently, as a military uh, officer, or as, a, as a personnel in the military, it's, uh, it doesn't matter what rank you are. We're not supposed to talk about the EU referendum, which I think is ludicrous, to be honest. And uh, as you know very well, I do tend to push boundaries and get into a lot of trouble for that. Um, and you realise that episodes 9 and 10 of Ask Fast Jet or Ask FJP on YouTube aren't up there at the moment. I'll put them back up. Um, again, that was about pushing boundaries and actually kind of having and stimulating some dialogue. So let's just do it anyway, shall we? Uh, in the hope that we are so short of personnel in the military that I'm not going to get sacked. Brilliant. See how that works out. So let me just have some tea real quick here. Um, let me just quickly sort something out. That's what's great about the things I use. I just finished my tea and now I can read this post out. I'm going to try and make these more regular, guys. I really am. Because um, I don't necessarily just like putting out a post on the site and then reading it to you. I'd rather have some kind of dialogue. And what I'm doing is uh, I'm starting to interview people that I used to work with or, or, or um, have an interest in and I'm going to try and put those things out and also here's the thing a package arrived from China this morning and I don't want to drone on about it shall we say but hopefully over this weekend 
um, I'll be able to introduce you to my little friend. Uh, I haven't got a name for it yet, but it's um, something that a company called DJI produce. All right. Okay. And hopefully over the weekend, we can maybe talk about that a little bit more. Right. This is probably about 10 minutes then. So again, speed me up to increase your learning and reduce the time taken to do so. Well, you got that wrong. Let's talk about military courage. His fist connected with my lower jaw, throwing my head back several feet from the impact. Now, I didn't feel pain as such, but more of a huge disturbance, a very sudden and very real shock. I could feel something in my mouth, a tooth maybe, or part of one. I spat it out. I wasn't going to need that anymore. My assailant stood in front of me, his hands by his side, and a look of disbelief on his face. He had just thrown the hardest punch he had, and for some unknown reason... I was still standing. I'm sure that neither of us expected that. Now, I've been hit before, but never with so much force and never with so little warning. I didn't know why I hadn't fallen. If I'd had my mouth open, it would have broken my jaw for sure. And I wasn't sure that my jaw wasn't broken because the adrenaline that results from such trauma doesn't always allow the damage to be revealed for some time. Now, he was just stood there looking at me. The colour was starting to drain from his face and the voices of his friends that had until a few seconds ago been loud and eager were now hesitant and hushed. I looked over to them. I was outnumbered three to one and I knew that there was only one thing that I could do that was going to stop me getting a severe beating and it was something that I really didn't want to happen. This is not a good day for you, I said and with that I swallowed hard and took a step forwards. Now, it's not every day that something occurs that fundamentally requires you to stop for a moment and think, right, what exactly has just happened? But on the morning of the 24th of June, 2016, I had to do just that. We're out was a simple text message that I woke up to. Well, I thought the UK is actually voted to leave the European Union. Now, after weeks of campaigning from both sides, the outcome was now revealed, and irrespective of which side we all took, the process revealed one solid truth. People felt that they did not have the information they required to make an informed decision on how they should have voted on the UK's future in the EU. Both sides preferred the use of scare tactics over facts. There was a savagery about the referendum that was truly ugly, and at times I was shocked by the language being used by the political elite towards each other. It was true that people were very animated about the whole thing. And my friends on social media were espousing opinions as facts as if they knew exactly what the future would hold for either option. And so was I. But I've always felt that change is a necessary constant. But for some, the idea of leaving the EU was not one that they could comprehend at all. And for many, our membership of the EU was actually all they'd ever known. But change isn't a bad thing. And to not change is to not evolve, to not grow, but to stagnate, wither and die. And here's a quote. The ambition spurs rapid innovation. Standing still is tantamount to extinction. And that's Paddy Lowe, Executive Director of Mercedes Formula One. Now, the results of being reluctant to change are all around us. Blockbusters was a business that, for over 20 years, rented DVDs to customers. But their business model had become stagnant and they were failing to innovate. 
Change takes courage, and it was easier for blockbusters to stay as they were. They were market leaders in film rental at the time, and when Netflix offered themselves for sale to the company in 2000 for $50 million, they were laughed out of the room. Blockbusters filed for bankruptcy protection on September 23, 2010, and Netflix is now worth $33 billion. I find that amazing. Now, that's because Netflix pushed boundaries and evolved, and blockbusters did not, and they died. But why did the people of the UK vote to leave the EU? Well, actually, they didn't. Principally, the people voting in the EU referendum were not just voting about their country's membership of the EU, and they were given very little information on what staying in or leaving would look like. The remain argument was simple, stay as we are, or risk uncertainty, and it was a popular message amongst my social media friends. But these friends are comfortable financially. They are generally on the housing ladder. They have cars and can afford holidays overseas. For those who are not like them, who have nothing and have seen a systematic privatisation of essential public sector services by a Conservative government hell-bent on austerity, to stay as we are was not a message that they felt compelled to embrace. To the marginalised and disenfranchised of the population who have very little, uncertainty gives them at least some hope that things might change. To them it seems that the companies, celebrities and politicians who were well-to-do were telling those who weren't to remain because they didn't want change to alter their comfortable way of life. So they got angry at the elite for their condescending ways, for their aloofness and for thinking they could tell the voters which way to vote. There was very much a self-righteous indignant tone about those telling us to stay in and the British people don't respond well to threats as an American president was about to discover. And here's the quote. The UK is going to be in the back of the queue. That was from Barack Obama. And I am a fan. But not when he's saying things like that. Many people saw the EU as a tanker ship that couldn't change course. Cameron receiving little from the commission in March meant that it was apparent that the EU was reluctant to reform. It was inflexible and more to the point, people didn't understand why our politicians had seemingly given control of their borders to a remote council. And above all this, people were sick of the banks being bailed out. Big corporations not paying their taxes or, if they got caught out, being allowed to pay a reduced rate. People realised that they were living in a society where businesses were just too big to fail. They knew that this wasn't a capitalist society at all. Not everybody had a fair chance to make a success of their lives because now there was regulation in place that stopped true free market economics from working. And essentially the EU was becoming this. The free trade area was for those in the know. And the whole experiment was starting to resemble crony capitalism morphing into a bureaucratic socialism. By trying to move towards a federalised Europe, the EU started to eliminate national identities and forced us social creatures to clamber for new ones so as to feel a sense of belonging. This started a dangerous trend in defining identity and led to many people leaning further towards right-wing politics 
than they would normally have, and in some cases, even moving to the extreme. But it wasn't rocket science to know that when you ignore the working classes for over 20 years, sooner or later, they will eventually get angry and rise up. And I was shocked with the social media outpouring after the referendum vote. It wasn't what I was expecting at all. People that I knew well were acting very out of character and some even saying that they were embarrassed to be British. Although nobody could be certain that the country had made the right decision, I couldn't have been more proud to live in a country that had demonstrated that the vote of the people mattered. It was a demonstration to the world that the UK is fair, it's democratic, and it's a place that you can do business in. Have you ever wondered why there is so much overseas money in London? It was depressing to watch the country split cleanly down the middle over a matter that was really only about one thing. Change. And to change takes courage. And sometimes that means facing the reality of what has just happened and facing the future, however unpalatable that might be. See, my father was an ex-Royal Marine and he used to tell me stories of the bootnecks attack on Mount Harriet during the Falklands conflict in 1982 and of how L Company of 4-2 Commando took five hours to advance just 600 metres against fierce enemy resistance. You must always advance to contact the enemy using an overwhelming weight of firepower was what he would tell me time and time again. But unlike the Royal Marines at Mount Harriet, whose courageous efforts eventually took the mountain, it was obvious to me, after the result had been announced, many of our political elite were showing no such courage. Before the referendum, Cameron had said that he would stay to see whatever result through. And there's a quote now, there's two quotes here, I'm going to read them back to back. Three years ago, I committed to the British people that I would renegotiate our position in the European Union and hold an in-out referendum. Now, I am delivering on that commitment. You will decide, and whatever your decision, I will do my best to deliver it. That was David Cameron, and the date's important here, guys. It's the 20th of February this year, 20th of February 2016. The next quote, again, from David Cameron. If we vote to leave, we'll carry out that instruction. Yes. Will I carry on as Prime Minister? Yes. That was on the 12th of June, the same year. Okay? But on the morning of the referendum result, Cameron decided to stand down as he wasn't prepared to deliver on the decision of the people as he had promised. It was reported that he allegedly told his aides, why should I do all the hard shit for someone else just to hand it over to them on a plate? There's another quote now from David Cameron. The British people have made a very clear decision to take a different path and, as such, I feel the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. That was David Cameron on the morning of the 23rd of June 2016 and that was literally just 11 days after the previous quote where he said he would carry out that instruction as Prime Minister. Now even a five-year-old knows that if you make a mess you clean it up and although we can agree that the result was not one that he wanted 
it was the one that he deserved. To leave government because of a vote that hasn't gone your way could be said to be the behaviour that is more at home in the playground than in a high office. Ironically, he had even criticised those wanting to leave the EU by calling them quitters. It's David Cameron. Leaving is quitting, and I don't think we're quitters. We're fighters. That was David Cameron on those wishing to leave the EU. But after he had made the choice to take a side in the referendum, Cameron's departure was inevitable. Had he stayed out of the arguments, remained neutral and kept his promise to guide the country, whatever outcome, maybe he'd still be in power. Charles Moore from The Telegraph here says, Imagine how Mr Cameron could have dominated the modernisation of British politics if he had led his country to vote leave. Instead, he has to be content with little more than gay marriage as his legacy. Now, I think gay marriage personally is a good thing. Um, I don't mind if people aren't, but that's fine. I think it's not a bad legacy to have. However, Charles Moore disagrees. Okay, now, as Prime Minister... It was Cameron's responsibility to have a plan for each outcome, yet it became obvious that no such planning had been done. Those who campaigned to leave didn't have a plan either, but they didn't have to. They could afford to be reckless. They were not in office and were not responsible for the future of the country. Uh, Quote here then from the Joint Committee on the National Security Strategy. It's a report which openly criticised Prime Minister's failure to set out contingency plans for Brexit in the last security review. And it says the failure to outline a plan to address that contingency, Brexit, indicates the prioritisation of political interests above national security. If the national security strategy is to be credible, it must prioritise the maintenance of national security above political expediency, which to most of us is obvious. Of course it is, unless you've got a big ego as a president trying to change something that you promised you would. So it seems to me that Cameron failed to follow the military's guidance for planning. Sun Tzu says, all battles are won before they are fought. When the military plans campaigns, it has plan Bs. It has what ifs and alternative courses of action. But as the Chilcot report recently highlighted from the aftermath of the Iraq war, planning isn't for everyone. A recent report by the Foreign Affairs Select Committee says similar on Libya. And here's the report now, quote. Through his decision making in the National Security Council, former Prime Minister David Cameron was ultimately responsible for the failure to develop a coherent Libya strategy. This meant that a limited intervention to protect civilians drifted into an opportunist policy of regime change by military means. That's the Foreign Affairs Select Committee report into Cameron's Libya intervention. That's pretty damning. Regime change is something that's not taken lightly on the international stage, says the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, not says Tim Davies on his website. Okay, I have to highlight that, please. Now, over the next few weeks, the British public was to see the real character of many of those who had been campaigning as aptly defined by Theresa May, who says the following. Like Indiana Jones, I don't like snakes, though that might lead some to ask why I'm in politics. See, I reckon that history probably holds some guidance. Now, in 380 BC, soon after the end of the Corinthian War, Plato wrote The Latches a discussion in which Socrates is asked a simple question 
by two Athenian generals. And that question is, what is courage? The question was asked to resolve a dispute between the generals, Latches and Nicias, probably, I might have pronounced that wrongly, over whether boys in military training could be taught to fight with or without armour. Now, in deciding that the purpose of the training was to instil courage, Socrates asks Latches, what is courage? And Latches replies that he is a man of courage who does not run away, but remains at his post and fights against the enemy. Now, Socrates does not entirely agree with this and cites the Scythians' fighting style of not persevering in battle unnecessarily, but retreating to strike with skirmishes at pursuing enemy as seen in the Scythians' campaign of Darius I in 513 BC. I believe that's against the Assyrians. Um, I could be wrong. I believe it is the Assyrians, actually. It could be against the Persians. Now, after further discussion as to whether courage is aligned, with wisdom, it concludes that no definitive answer, but the reader is left with one thought. And that thought is this, that courage is strength in the face of knowledge of what is to be feared. Now, most of us won't ever face the kind of courage that is found on a windswept South Atlantic battlefield or defined in a conversation over two and a half millennia ago. And that is okay. But for many who have been in conflict and have displayed or witnessed actual courage in its most visceral of forms, they must now look at the British political landscape with incredulity. Cameron will not face what is to be feared. On the 12th of September 2016, he left into political obscurity and probably a lucrative wage on the international speaking circuit to join other senior political figures who have also made exceptionally poor decisions whilst in office. Cameron recklessly gambled with the country's future. An internal party squabble will end up causing huge instability across Europe and all because of his failure to understand that the referendum was never about the EU, it was about elitism, inequality and an establishment who had lost touch with those that they were supposed to represent. His downfall was putting his politics before the people he was supposed to be leading. If Cameron had decided to put our membership of the EU to a public vote because he honestly believed that it was the best for the people, his case might be easy to argue, but he didn't. We can agree that there is no greater example of public service than to entrust the people with the biggest political decision of a generation and then to faithfully carry out their wishes, but that is not why Cameron called a vote. His biographers Anthony Selden and Peter Snowden have said that the Prime Minister had three objectives when he called this vote. To pacify Eurosceptic uh, Euro critics, neutralise UKIP and take the EU off the front pages. Now this proves that higher public office is not necessarily about public service. And it could be said that by not staying in office to enact Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, it demonstrates that Cameron was anything but a true public servant. A leader displaying true courage recognises that you must roll with the punches even when things don't go the way you wanted them to. Now, leaders lead, cowards cower. Here's a quote, C.S. Lewis, integrity is doing the right thing even if nobody is watching. Now, Cameron did not do the right thing and everybody was watching. And as an example of leadership for future generations, it was a poor one. So we voted and the country went into shock, largely because those at the top failed to realise in their arrogance that democracy meant 
that their vote was worth just as much as the guy who picks up their rubbish every day. The one that they've never talked to. Theresa May went on to say the public want honesty from their politicians, not showy gimmicks. Now, democracy can be an inconvenience for those in power, but for those they represent, it is often all they have. Now, what we experienced was historic. In democratic terms, it showed a nation that was determined to not be led from afar, from a faceless, unaccountable, bureaucratic entity. The people not only wanted to regain control from the EU, but to punish the political elite for allowing it to be given away. The people were not to stop at the politicians. Their vote to leave was also meant to punish the businessmen, experts like those who failed to predict the 2008 crash, and the celebrities who attempted to lecture the little people about how they should vote. Ricky Gervais said at the Golden Glows back in 2015, no one wants to see me insult you rich, beautiful, overprivileged celebrities. You're better than ordinary people. If you've learnt one thing, it's that famous people are above the law, as it should be. He is brilliant. I know people don't like him, but he's funny. People were angry at political correctness. They wanted something that was missing throughout the debate, and that was authenticity. What Cameron and his cronies had failed to realise was what the UK meant to the rest of Europe, something a French president was well aware of many years ago. The UK has always been a reluctant European. Even President Charles de Gaulle said so in 1963 when he said no to Britain in Europe when he vetoed British entry into the European Economic Community. And he knew the British character well and that Britain would be reluctant to lose some of its preferences with trading in the Commonwealth. England, in effect, is insular. She is maritime. She is linked through her exchanges, her markets, her supply lines to the most diverse and often the most distant countries. She pursues essentially industrial and commercial activities and only slight agricultural ones. She has, in all her doings, very marked and very original habits and traditions. That was Charles de Gaulle in 1963. It is over 50 years since those words were spoken and a fitting time to find a new course. Charles de Gaulle had signed the Elysee Treaty a week earlier, cementing a friendship with France's former enemy, Germany. He knew that Britain could never be part of that sort of partnership and that it would never surrender its independence to create a European political collaboration. If a French president knew this about Britain 50 years ago, then it should have been apparent to a British Prime Minister today. So, as I learnt in a street fight many years ago, sometimes change necessitates doing something you don't want to do, and that is the very definition of courage. Being attacked in the street by some drunken yobs meant that my comfortable normality was shattered in a moment. Years of rugby training and wisdom from my father, however, meant that I was able to deal with the change and walk away largely unscathed. Now, don't get me wrong, I was always going to take a beating either way, but just less of a beating by having the courage to stand up to my aggressors. So Cameron wasn't able to display his courage and defeat to the British public, and he has paid with his political reputation. The irony being that the big society that he was unable to sell to the people back in 2010 was the same one that recognised his arrogance and cavalier actions in 2016 and decided to destroy his political career. 
Kenneth Clark said, I think it was the most reckless decision to announce that he was going to hold a referendum in a few years' time. Now, there is something almost comforting about the fact that you can't buy the British voter with subterfuge and duplicity. And if you patronise and push them enough, they won't just ruin your political career, but they'll also change the political landscape of their country forever. My American friend said that the days after the referendum made House of Cards look like an episode of Sesame Street. And as a final insult to the public in producing one of the most controversial resignation honour lists, Cameron used his final act of patronage to honour 46 donors, aides and allies. Now soon our new PM will negotiate our exit of the EU and trigger Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty. The change the country will go through will take significant courage as we face the unknown, but we shouldn't fear change. That is truly necessary. We must embrace it. And as a French president highlighted many years ago, we might be bad Europeans, but we are also a shining example of a democratic country which has proved that its government is able to listen to and act on the will of its people. And on whichever side you voted, that should be something that we all agree must be celebrated. And that's it. Now, in all honesty, as I said in a footnote to this, um, I am not able to comment on governments, which is what I don't, of course, because a serving government is not something that I can put down. And I haven't in this essay ever said anything bad about the government, but it's about um, also I can't comment on a serving MP as a member of the British military. And I haven't, of course, because on the 12th of September, the Chancellor of the Executive appointed David Cameron to be a Crown Steward and Bailiff of the Manor of Northstead. What this means is the appointment allows a member of Parliament to resign as it disqualifies them from holding a seat in the House of Commons. It's how someone steps down from being an MP. So, of course, the person I'm talking about is David Cameron, the non-MP. So um, if this helps people, uh, then that's a good thing, to be honest with you. And I just felt that Cameron setting us all up to leave the EU and then abandoning us to our fate was not something that was uh, leadership in any way I recognise leadership but that's just me of course and I've been in the service for about 20 years now so I'm probably who who knows I'm probably wrong right I'll try and get this up now and there's another couple of posts I'm going to put out guys are really interested in your comments and by all means head over to uh, the website if you want to write some of those in or, or onto um, on Facebook but uh, anyway comments help me work out how I'm going to put stuff out for you so I really appreciate it Thanks so much, Tim Davies, for our performance.